In 2018, the American Bar Association unveiled its Law Firm Wellbeing Pledge to help combat substance abuse and mental health issues across a very stressed out profession. To date, more than 200 law firms and in-house legal departments have signed it. I'm Mike Pachenik. On this episode of The Balancing Act, I'm joined by Mark Goldberg. He's Director of Global Health and Wellbeing at Latham & Watkins to talk about well-being. Thanks for joining me, Mark. So you oversee the Live Well Latham program. What is it? Live Well Latham is the name of our global health and well-being platform. How has the program evolved over time? Most of what we started out with kind of as the, you know, wellness program 101 or or 1.0, I guess, was mostly around physical health. And that was also a time I think when at law firms nobody talked about mental health. Really swept under the rug. Uh, you know, folks just didn't want to deal with it. The, you know, everybody was like, I'm fine, everything is fine. And, you know, I think over time, as we started to evolve, we started to kind of push the boundaries on that a little bit. And, you know, as we got into the mental health arena, you know, we found that the easiest way to do that was to to frame it in terms of resilience and mindfulness and, you know, all those words that don't elicit the same type of reaction as mental health does. So, you know, we started to make that transition from physical health to physical health plus resilience and mindfulness, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we had a lot of success in that. And then frankly, around 2017, the world changed for a couple of reasons in, in the legal industry. You know, one was that there was a really seminal research study done by, um, uh, the ABA, the American Bar Association, in conjunction with the Hazelton uh, Betty Ford Foundation. And they did the first of its kind study on specifically on lawyers and mental health. And they looked at thousands of lawyers across the spectrum, all different types of work environments. And, you know, I think before then, folks had the sense that things were a little tougher for lawyers and they were maybe more at risk. But this was really the first time in a very scientific way that we had research that proved that lawyers were more likely to suffer from mental health issues, addiction issues, other well-being challenges. So that, you know, also because it was under the auspices of not only Hazelton Betty Ford, which one of the, one of the premier treatment centers out there, um, but the ABA it really got heads turning. Second thing that happened around that time, and there were two really high profile articles, one in the New York Times, uh, and one I think was in the maybe the LA Times. Um, the first one was called The Lawyer, The Addict, and it looked at a partner at a big law firm who, you know, ended up dying of, a, a, of an overdose. And when, you know, his ex-wife and others kind of looked back over the course of what had brought him there, they really kind of seized upon some of the stresses that he had been through. And this was one of those articles that just turned heads, right? I think everyone in the legal industry looked at it and it was like, wow, they're describing my life, right? The pressures, the stresses. And that article got passed around like hotcakes in the legal industry. Um, you know, at one point, I think even the managing partner of our firm sent it out globally to everyone and said, hey, if anybody is struggling, you know, don't, don't sit in silence, let, let us help. You know, the second, a more salacious title was called Big Law Killed My Husband. Um, and it was a, a suicide of a partner at another big law firm. And again, it really took a hard look at the stresses and what was going on on the mental health side of things. So I think those articles and the ABA reports, suddenly it was like a wake up call for the legal industry. 
So how should someone take into account the size of their organization when designing a well-being program? I think it really requires an organization to step back and to say, you know, what what can we do given our size and, you know, constraints on, on budget, on critical mass, on where our people are located? You know, what do we need to do? What are the issues that, that we're seeing? And, uh, you know, I'm conscious that not, not everybody is at a firm the size of Latham, right? So you may hear some things that we did and think, well, you know, we, you can do that because you have 6,000 people. We can never do that with our 500 people. But, you know, I think we've, we've learned over the years ways to make things applicable regardless of size. And I'll give you an example. So we opened um, so far two on-site clinics uh, where we actually work with Johns Hopkins Medicine and they run on-site clinics in our New York office and our Los Angeles office. And those are two geographies where we really have critical mass of people. So we're able to do that, right? We have a full-time nurse practitioner. We've got part-time mental health counselors, part-time physical therapists, huge success, right? Um, We're looking at a couple more, but we're not gonna do this in all of our offices, right? You really need to have critical mass of people in order for it to, to work and to be you know cost effective and all that. But there are some takeaways that we learned that we were able to implement in even our smallest offices. So for example, having on-site mental health counselors through the clinic, we really saw the power of that. Um, and even during the pandemic when they weren't technically on-site, right, but were kind of dedicated to an office, you know, we saw the effects of having counselors who were integrated with the life of the office, who got to know our people there, who were easy to invite to say like, hey, come to the monthly secretary's lunch or the you know, litigation department meeting, just pop in for five minutes, even if it's on Zoom and introduce yourself and talk, right? We saw the power of that. So one of the things that we've done in some of our smaller offices is we've uh, worked with part-time mental health counselors who are kind of, you know, we call them dedicated counselors, um, and, you know, it's just maybe twice a week, they'll have Latham hours. Sometimes they're live in the office, sometimes they're, they're remote. Um, we actually have one counselor in Asia. Uh, she's based in Hong Kong, but she covers five offices in, in Asia, um, five very small offices. What does it mean to have an employee overall engaged in their health? What we mean is folks really being focused on their health and, and ready to act, right? Even if, if ready to act means not taking any action, right? It means that they're aware and they're conscious of it, right? They know their kind of health status, they know the resources. But one thing that um, we now do in all of our internal trainings uh, regarding mental health is we have a slide, we call it the mental health continuum. And uh, this is based on research um, from 20 years ago, a gentleman named Corey Keyes, he's an American uh, researcher who looked at mental health and you know, divide basically put it on a bell curve and divided it into, into different sections to say, you know, our mental health is continually fluctuated, right? Sometimes we're on the right side of the curve, which is, you know, we're doing super, we're flourishing. Sometimes we're on the left side of the curve where we're struggling, but most people are kind of somewhere in the middle, which is just kind of okay. And we really use this as a talking point that we incorporate anytime anyone invites us to speak, even if it's just kind of come and talk about the resources we offer, we'll find a way to talk about the continuum. But you know, the takeaway message is to really kind of think about where you are on the mental health continuum, right? Under, understand that it's a continuum, that it always fluctuates, and it's not necessarily bad to be 
all the way to the to the left side or the right side, right? But it's bad if you get stuck somewhere you don't want to be. So when we say we would like people to be engaged in their health, from the mental health perspective, it means understanding this continuum, understanding where you are, so that if you do feel you get stuck at some time, you know how to take action or you even know you should take action. And how do you reach employees to get them to engage with their health? Half of my job is communications, right? Half of it is building programs and running programs and all that, but probably 50% of it is communicating them. And um, you know, we found at, you know, being at a firm the size of Latham, um, you need to communicate constantly. Um, and, you know, I, I would venture to guess probably someone from a very small firm would, would say something similar, right? In that you're lucky if folks, you know, read your messages or pay attention, right? Especially busy lawyers who are just focused on what they need to get done that day. They're focused on their clients, rightly so. Um, and, you know, they're skimming things that, that don't apply to you know, the work that is directly in front of them. Um, or even if they're not, they may not need what you're talking about at the moment. So, you know, I think it's really about communicating over and over in different ways in different channels so that it may not be until, you know, the 10th time somebody's heard something that they pay attention. And it may not be until the 20th time that they've heard it that they actually are in a position where they need it and they need to act on it. Mark, we know one in five people in the workforce is doubling as an unpaid caregiver. So how do you empower caregivers on your team to invest in their own well-being with all the extraneous things going on in their lives? We can talk about workplace stress. We can talk about you know the lifestyles of attorneys and the people who support attorneys. And there's also life. Right? There's marriages and divorces and aging parents and kids who get sick, all those things. You know, I think we've learned over the years that you know, well-being isn't just about fitness and mental health, right? It's about all those other things that are affecting you, right? It's affecting caring for an aging parent, aging parent, right? That's affecting your finances, your time, your focus, your level of exhaustion by the time you even get in front of your computer in the office, you know, or, or your home office. And I think it's about really figuring out what folks need and, and how you can bring it to them. Life happens. And, you know, I think even just kind of recognizing that and thinking about how you can support your people with everything that they're going through, I think that's really what well-being is about. At what point did Latham decide the struggles of the caregivers on your team warranted bringing in a support like Home Thrive to help? I don't know that there was a, a, a point or an evolution of the discussion where at one point we didn't think it was worthwhile and at one point we did. I think just the way we went about it was different over the years, right? I think, you know, for many, many, many years, we've had backup care, right? For uh, folks who have children when their regular caregiving uh, situations fall through, right? And, you know, I think just over time, as resources in the market developed, and as we've got a little more sophisticated about how we looked at things, um, I think that was the evolution, right? Um, you know, we have a, uh, an EAP and employee assistance program we call Care Connect. We kind of call it our EAP on steroids. And you know, for a number of years, uh, you know, we, they they've had some you know kind of support that they give for caregiving as well. And you know, we've referred people to that. And you know, I think when we started working with Home Thrive, it was just a different level. But again, I think all of this is just an evolution. Um, and still, like all of those resources still exist, and I think they come at the problem from different angles because. 
even with caregiving. Not not everybody who's a caregiver is struggling with the same needs. And lastly, Mark, what's your advice to a firm that's just starting out in this well-being journey with a shoestring budget? I think if you're just getting started, um, I think it's helpful to just kind of take stock and and look at what you already have, right? I think a lot of people don't realize that there are probably already some really talented folks at your firm who have created resources or brought in resources or partnered with organizations like Home Thrive or whoever, right? That that have kind of elements of a well-being program. So I think it's you know talking to your HR group, talking to your benefits department, figuring out what's already there and kind of what is the strongest and what kind of meets the needs that you see now. And I think that's a really good place to start. Well, many thanks to Mark Goldberg from Latham & Watkins for joining me on this episode of The Balancing Act. For more insights from HR luminaries, visit our blog, homethrive.balancingact.com. That's homethrive.balancingact.com. For Home Thrive, I'm Mike Pachenik.